if you've got an ongoing situation at the minute or something that's rumbling under the surface, I think now is the time to kind of call it out and deal and, and address it. Um, you know, the longer something goes on for and if it's festering, it will eventually come to a head at some point and that will usually result in a formal grievance. Organisation Strive. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure of having Laura Riley on the show. Uh, good morning to you, Laura. Good morning, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Good to see you. and looking forward to this conversation. Uh, just to let the audience know, you are a HR consultant and an employment lawyer for SMEs. Uh, you are the MD of Taurus HR Solutions, which provides employers of all sizes with professional and cost-effective HR consultancy and employment law solutions. And today, we're going to be exploring hypersensitivity in the workplace, understand what that, what that is, how we deal with it, and how we create a positive environment uh, for companies um so before we get into that uh, laura i just want to ask uh, what do you love about what you do uh good question julian so um i think for me the top thing that always comes to my mind when people ask me about this is i enjoy variety um every day is different and i know that some people will say oh you know is it really different it, it really is um you know just sort of give you an idea of what a typical week looks like you know it, it could look like a mediation it could be a couple of grievances that we're dealing with it could be a contract and a handbook review it could be you know, a consultancy agreement there's always something different and I think in this profession if you're naturally curious and inquisitive it's a great career to be in because there's always something that you can learn and things that you don't know about that you you even think oh I've come across everything in my career and then the next day something will come in and and, and you don't so it's the, the nature of the work and the variety, but also helping businesses. So I do a lot of work, you know, at a very economical rate for small businesses because these issues keep them up at night that, you know, the ones that we're exploring and others as well. You know, it's, it's the sleepless nights, you know, and I've had business owners, you know, in tears to me on the phone worrying about what to do next and, and you know, which route to turn down. And when you are a small business, you just simply don't have those resources that the bigger businesses have that, you know, you don't have an in-house team. So it's almost that being able to help at a cost effective rate um, and using the fact that we, you know, as, as professionals within our business, we are very inquisitive and we always make sure we're on top of everything and, and up to date. Excellent. And what, what drew you to HR? Was it the variety or was it just that you just love people or the policies? Who knows? What was it? <laughs> uh, well, I, I actually didn't go into HR in a traditional way. Um, when I was sort of at school, HR wasn't really a thing. You know, you get the traditional professions and people say you, you could be this or you could be that in, you know, in the future. And I actually went into operations management um, so I was in recruitment and moved into, um, I worked for a really, really big uh, American business on, on site for them, managed a huge operation for them. And um, I, I really cut my teeth in that role. And a large part of it was HR work. So I was actually doing HR work, but not realizing it was, a, it, it had a, a name or it had a label. Um, so, you know, I'd be dealing with things like people on FLT sticking their leg out, thinking that was, you know, a good idea. Uh, people putting brooms down production lines um, and all of those types of strange activities that people would think were a good idea. Um, I would be dealing with those and sort of managing those processes to, to, to deal with them. So um, that happened. And then I got to a point where I, I'd been a fixer and been drifted around different sites. And I got to a point where I thought, you know, I don't really want to be traveling around the country anymore. I, I think I want to go into HR now. I know more about it. And um you know, my HR career at that point was born 
Um, but as I said, I'd been in recruitment previously. It was just, you know, I went into a, a pure HR role at that point. Excellent. And we're talking hypersensitivity today. And um, whether we approach this in a sensitive way or not, who knows? Um, I'm just going to get curious and ask some questions. I, I do know, and I don't know where I got this fact from. I, I did a bit of looking around on, on the internet that that um, over-emotional reactions have increased by nearly 20% in the general population. So we've become more hypersensitive as people generally. And so first question we'd ask you really is, you know, can you define what hypersensitivity is in the workplace, what it really means? And, and why is it an important topic to discuss? Yeah, so almost hypersensitivity is almost the, the polar opposite of being resilient. Um, so, you know, most people will know it as um, most people have heard about resilience in the workplace. So it's almost the opposite. So resilience is, is somebody's ability to adapt, cope and recover. Um, and it's a crucial skill. And um, it's it's somebody's ability to kind of carry on in the face of adversity. So really, the, the opposite to that is somebody that does not cope well with those situations, does not cope well with disruptive changes to their routine or pattern, um, or, or it could be, you know, a change to a team member. Um, and it could, you know, be changes in the home. It could be, I know, moving house is stressful, but people that have a, a very extreme reaction to those types of situations, uh, but usually it's on a lower level. So for me, you know, hypersensitivity is, is somebody that if you think about a bathtub, their bathtub's really full and they, they literally cannot take anything on. No matter how small it is, there's just not a single more, you know, drip that can go into that bath. It's completely full. And that's the point when we start to see people that are hypersensitive and they then struggle to deal with even the smallest of things that happens to, to be kind of change related or, or, or disruptive in their perception. And why do you think it's increased? And the fact I came out with, so I'm not entirely sure where that's come from, whether it's grounded in anything. Um, but the reason we're talking about this because it has increased. Um, and if I look back over the last you know, three or four years with obviously the pandemic, you know, resilience, and I do a lot of stuff on resilience and helping leaders and organisation become more resilient, uh, which as I say is the opposite end to hypersensitivity. Um, why is it increased because i think have we not become more resilient or there's something at play here that's that we're not i'm not aware of um good question so uh, i think the pandemic has played a large part in that um and and the kind of the reaction to covid worldwide certainly we've had a very very disruptive period and, and everybody has experienced that everybody has been through it um but i certainly have seen a trend upwards in hypersensitivity specifically in the workplace and also with with people going down formal routes such as raising grievances and for me if I look at all the facts and considering I've been in this job for you know a number of years in-house and also as a consultant I have seen the, the an upward curve and it's almost gone like this so we we just to give you an idea Julian we've gone from maybe handling two grievances a month to we we handle anything now between sort of six and ten um, so there's been an, an exponential increase in, in the amount of grievances raised. Now, interestingly, the way that hypersensitivity presents itself in the workplace um, is where people are very um, overly emotional um, and they react quite strongly to any kind of what they perceive as criticism um, and they see things as a personal attack. And a large amount of the grievances um, that, you know, that we see as professionals in the workplace are usually linked to, to those 
types of feelings and perceptions that somebody has. Now, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, because to that person, their perception is their reality. So they're very much feeling it like that. But that's certainly not how it's intended in a lot of cases. And equally, you know, there, there does come a point where how does the manager manage that? Because, you know, if, if poor performance does need to be talked about or attendance is, is not acceptable and that needs to be discussed, how does the manager broach that subject with somebody who is hypersensitive? And that is the challenge then that employers are facing because in trying to broach that subject with the person and, and again, follow the golden rules, you know, that we would say in HR, you know, have an honest conversation with somebody. Even in doing that, somebody who is highly sensitive will still see that as a criticism and a personal attack. And that's when we're seeing an increase in grievances, certainly from the, the, the subject matters of the grievances we're looking at, a, you know, a large proportion of them are around this, I feel like this, or I'm unhappy about this, or, you know, I feel that this wasn't done in the correct way. Um, and, and as a result of that, I, the only thing I can think of, the major um, event that's, that could contribute to that is probably lockdown, um, and 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 the feeling of uncertainty that people have experienced is maybe continuing into how they now adjust in you know post lockdown. That's interesting. So I, I thought you know because people got through COVID and they're here today, uh, and there's an element of resilience, whether that's low level or high level, depending on what, what you were doing, and you think that would have created more resilience in us as individual. Is there another thing about you know people putting in grievances because people are more aware? of hr stuff because they can access it through google through watching people tiktok all sorts of stuff and listen to people like you is there a more awareness and therefore people have this sense of i call it entitlement rights to sort of i, I could put a claim in now because i feel that i my um my boundaries have been broken or whatever it is and they therefore they put a claim in and, and a grievance you think that's been going on as well i do think there's i do think there's some of it so if we kind of look at um um, kind of why these things might come about and if we kind of break it down and, and try and relate it to you know what people have been through over the last few years so a few things have happened here we've had poor communications um you know that's one of the things that can exacerbate hypersensitivity so poor communications if we think about um you know during covid we'd have these random you know bulletins and uh, alert you know everyone needs to be at the tv now at six o'clock coming on to tell everyone everything so we'd have this kind of almost heightened state of awareness. And as HR professionals, we used to have a running joke on Friday that it was almost like gin day because it was always, always at the end of the day on a Friday where the update for furlough would come out. So again, poor communications and also the the, the speed of which it needed to happen um, has then contributed, I think, to business leaders almost reacting to what's coming out, which is you know only the only way they could really do things. Well, that has then resulted in poor communications for people. So I think now people are almost seeking, um, you know, over comp communication because they've really struggled to deal with that gap there. And then mm. yeah, we've got cultural differences or, or misunderstandings there where we've also had a situation where we've had a number of people working at home in their own bubble, you know, doing their own thing. They've, they've built up a routine, uh, you know, and they've kind of built a life around the new life that they had in lockdown and then we're asking people to return back to an office where, you know, that person that eats a pack of quavers next to you on the desk 
is irritating because you had two years where that didn't happen. And, you know, the noises are, are, you know, overstimulating you. So there's, there's loads of things like that that I think have, have actually, whilst we've been resilient and come through COVID, I do think it's also highlighted um, things that actually irritate people that perhaps didn't before, that they're more acutely aware of. And then in answer to your question about, um, in terms of people being more aware of things, we have to remember that there was a large period of time where people were on furlough, or some people were certainly, and when nobody was allowed out, you know, the internet was still available, the information was still there. And, um, you know, social media was the main source of communication for a lot of people. So, um, you know, people will talk to other people. And, you know, if you tell your friends a story, you'll get their version of events, and they're always going to be on your side, usually. Um, and so people I did find that, you know, would would have conversations and get quite upset about things um, and then research things. And I, I think that, you know, this culture of let's raise a grievance is now the common response when there is an issue rather than go and talk to your manager about it. Have a sit down with them. They're a human being just like you. Uh, maybe they don't realize they're doing that or it upsets you or you can figure it out and find a better way. Now the default reaction is raise a grievance because people know that you can raise a grievance so without really exploring anything else, that seems to be the default position or certainly mm. in, my, in my experience of things at the minute. Yeah, it's a shame that people go to that default rather than having those, those conversations initially. Uh, I think people always want to make things formal, formalise everything and almost create that that culture of sort of personal injury mindset of law, engaging lawyers and it's their fault and you always got to take responsibility for this. If you're a leader now that's listening to this and thinking potentially you might be in a, a workplace that's quite hypersensitive or some individuals might be, what advice would you give them in terms of helping them to manage people who perhaps are not as perhaps um, resilient as, as they are uh, in the team? Um, so how, how might we help them? Just a short interruption to the episode to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Lodge Court and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let Lodge Court deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retain package that is right for you and your people. Now back to the episode. There are a few things to do. So if you've got an ongoing situation at the minute or something that's rumbling under the surface, I think now is the time to kind of call it out and and address it. Um, You know, the longer something goes on for and if it's festering, it will eventually come to a head at some point and that will usually result in a formal grievance um, or, you know, it could it could result in something worse. So it, something we need to think about on the flip side of that is that it could result in your best people leaving you because they can't, they don't want to be part of that anymore and, or that environment's making them unhappy. So that, that does need addressing. If, if you're a manager or a leader and you, you know, you've kind of brushed something under the carpet it might be worth getting somebody, you know, impartial and external to come and look at that, not suggesting that you take your focus away and do it yourself, but get that get that problem addressed and get it dealt with. So that's the first thing to do is, you know, we always say nip things in the bud, you know, deal with it early on before it gets to the stage where someone's taken a position and then it's like a, you know, a them and an us um, and you've got so, to... So this, is, so this is when you're spotting a certain scenario which feels that could be in your mind, from your subjective view, it's obviously a subjective view, isn't it, on this, 
hypersensitivity and the first protocol is to get some external advice and whether that's internal HR or external HR, just to see, am I just being, you know, unfair here or not very um, empathetic, I guess, isn't it? It's that sort of scenario where you could, is that balance, isn't it? Because here we don't want to throw things out where, you know, people may have a genuine grievance because there may be a genuine issue here. Um, and, and so it's that balance, isn't it, of understanding. So the external input is really important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, there is an art to, to, to dealing with these things. You know, we, we've spent years and years and years and seen lots of different things to build up those, you know, questioning techniques and also the, the techniques and the things you ask to bring people together. Um, you know, I've, I've done some mediations before and, um, you know, one of the, the big ones that I did this year was, um, you know, one in a, in a very high court in um, in London. So it's about, you know, those skills that we have that business leaders, they're not intuitive to business leaders. It's, you know, you're busy building the business. And what I'd say is as well, the the external advice can be that voice of reason, because it, if it is your business, you're very, very ingrained and, and, you know, very native in what you do it will probably feel more personal and more emotional to you because it is your business and you don't like to think of the fact that people are unhappy at work and you can't help but feel, you know, have I done something to, to cause that? Is, is some of this me? And then that can then result in you struggling to separate that part of you from actually dealing with the matter because you, you don't know whether you are being overly emotional and reacting in that way. Um, and then also I would say, you know, taking that a level down, if you are a line manager and you are aware that you've got two people in your team, um, you know that aren't speaking or you know you've you've heard grumbles from within your the wider team that these two people aren't getting on or there seems to be you know sarcastic comments or just little digs or little things like they're, they're just not very inclusive or they deliberately exclude that person again those are the sorts of things that it you know it's about kind of calling that out maybe get some external advice or if you feel that you can and you have that relationship with them both it could be that you have a you know, sit down with them and talk to them separately, or you facilitate a bit of a conversation with them if they're struggling. It it doesn't always have to go to a full mediation either. It could just be something low level that can be resolved. But I can guarantee that if that isn't dealt with, over time, those little niggles will become something bigger. And it'll either result in something blowing up or a grievance being raised, or it'll result in somebody leaving or somebody leaving that, that just doesn't want to be part of the atmosphere anymore, that just can't take it. So um, it, there is that kind of, there's the reactive part to it. But then in, in terms of being proactive, um, you need to build resilience within your teams. And people go, well, how do you build resilience within teams? Well, you need to get them comfortable with change. Um, there are a few things that, that that you can do. But first of all, people need to be comfortable with change. Um, you know, there is a, a train of thought around, you know, even getting people to kind of sit in different chairs or you know hot desking that was something that that somebody spoke to me about in terms of getting people to move around and just be a little bit uncomfortable get comfortable with being uncomfortable so you know just you know just disrupt things a little bit not to a stage where it's completely disruptive and, and disorientating but do something a little bit different you know have things like um you know no meeting days if you can or you know allow people time to decompress allow people time to to have a bit of calm in their lives not where they don't work, but, you know, allow people, again, in, in open plan offices, for example, I personally find open plan offices incredibly disruptive. And I know people who have, um, you know, who are neurodiverse can find it incredibly difficult as well. So, you know, is it going to be harmful if you allow somebody to have some headphones in, you know, and 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 to spend a little bit of time, you know, just focusing on what they're doing and not getting stressed and you haven't got that mm. heightened level of, 
oh, I've, I've got all this work to do and I keep getting interrupted and I'm going to snap at somebody in a minute. And there's a lot of little things like that that you can do. But again, setting structure and clarity, something that I talk to business leaders about a lot is, you know, are you clear on your mission, vision, values? You know, do people know what's expected of them? Do you do you thank them? I'm not just talking an annual pay rise. Do you do you actually go and thank them? Do you send them an email, you know, or pick up the phone and say, thank you so much. That was a job well done. You know, do you encourage them to do more of the good things? And then that builds their confidence. And the more confident they are, the less likely they are to feel, you know, struggling and, and stuck in a world that's very volatile that they don't really understand. And mm. these kind of little creep things, you know, kind of these insecurities can kind of creep in here and go, oh, you know, you're not doing a good job. So-and-so is picking on you. Your manager doesn't like you. and It's not really the case. But again, it, you know, it comes back to all of these things to build that, that base level of resilience to allow people then to kind of brush things off that perhaps aren't as serious as they might have thought they were. And it seems that, you know, in terms of good management, as you say, in terms of good communication, expectations real clarity on that can really help people can't it because then you're setting some clear sort of boundaries of a when you come work here these are my expectations of how it works around here uh, even at the very start of the interview stage before for somebody even joins and so there's a real sort of clarity um if you are approaching somebody uh, as, a, as a manager or leader uh, who might be hypersensitive and you've taken advice what sort of help would you give in terms of helping them because there might be that difficult point where I'm going to talk with somebody about an issue and, and take it head on. And, and yet I know the hypersensitivity, you might end up sort of making yourself a like slightly, I don't know, not dealing with it properly because you feel you're going to upset them. And what sort of advice have you given uh, leaders or managers in how they've dealt with somebody, a genuine issue, which is because somebody's hypersensitive, nothing to do with a grievance or anything. How have you helped them deal with that? Um, so in terms, and this is more common than perhaps perhaps we think, because uh, managers are you know the same as everybody else, and, and very often managers have been promoted without any proper training in how to be a manager. Mm. So we often say, oh look, this person's a technical expert; they're great at what they do. They would be a great people manager, but that person isn't necessarily comfortable with that level of responsibility or leadership. Maybe they don't want that, but they feel that they have to. Um, and the first thing I would say is being proactive, have a management, um, you know, management training program in place, a management development program or leadership, you know, whatever your aim is at the end of that. When you entrust somebody with, you know, in most businesses, the largest asset you have and the most expensive one, why would you not train them? Why would you not develop them and help them to be better? So, and, and I'm not just talking about, you know, this is how you do a disciplinary, this is how you do a grievance. We need to work on people's soft skills. This is how to deal with conflict. Uh, you know, not long workshops. You know, an hour and out, you know, an hour or two at a time. So it's bite size for people, and and have a workshop. You know, how to have those difficult conversations. Very often, how to start those difficult conversations because that's the biggest hurdle. Is well, what do I say to them? You know, we've we've been friends for five years. If I come in now and say something to them. Um, and, and when people are managing things and, and somebody is hypersensitive and say, for example, somebody hasn't managed a situation particularly well, I think actually you you owe it to the person who has been mismanaged to apologize and show some humility as a manager. So if I've if I've managed you for five years and I've told you in every appraisal that you've done a really, really good job, 
because I'm afraid actually, because you're a hypersensitive person and I'm afraid that if I tell you the truth, you'll have a go at me or you'll, 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 you know, you'll raise a grievance. And I'm terrified of that. I've effectively created, you know, a situation where I am, I'm on the back foot as a manager because I can't now manage you and tell you anything. And I've created that because I've given you a false sense of security. Hmm. What I need to be doing is deciding that I'm, I'm going to take some action and I need to have a conversation with you. And I'm going to sit in that room and I'm going to say to you, I need to talk to you about something. And firstly, I need to apologize that I've allowed this to continue for, for, for a period of time. And that's, I need to apologize to you first off. Instantly, that creates a sense of that person not needing to be on the defensive. So what we're trying to do is in, in hypersensitive situations, people are very likely to jump to a position and become defensive because they feel under attack. You know, they, they feel criticized. We need to try and diffuse that. So first of all, you need to apologize. If you, and, and we get it wrong. Managers get it wrong. I've got it wrong before. I've called it wrong. And, and I'm very comfortable with holding my hands up and saying, I'm human. I'm sorry I messed up. But this is what I'm going to do now to put it right. So you sit with that person. You say, look, this is this is the situation. This is where we need to get to. I want to support you on that journey. I want to help you get there. But I need your help in telling me what you need to do that. And you have that honest conversation. You work with them. You agree some milestones. And you come out of that conversation with a much better understanding. And guess what? That might not work. That might actually be, um, you, you might follow that advice and that person might still be hypersensitive, in which case it may need to be dealt with differently, you know, but this is the best way to deal with somebody in that situation. Try and take the sting out of it. Try not to make it a shock. Try and keep it calm for them. But still, you need to have that conversation. And only when you start to have those honest conversations, hmm. you actually be able to build the resilience because your manager needs to talk to you and actually they're not going to shout at you. You're not going to lose your job. They want to help you get there, but you've got to put some effort in as well. So it, it won't change until that person has that conversation, but the way it's dealt with is very crucial. Is there a danger of, of labeling people hypersensitive, um, almost putting a construct in our minds that might help us, might, might not help us in terms of how we approach them, create intentions or, we conjure up something of the hypersensitive, we might do things differently, approach things. And, and obviously we deal with individuals differently because we're all different. But do you think it's a helpful thing to label people like that? Is there another way of thinking about it differently? Uh, I think there is. I mean, I think we could label everybody as something. Um, you know, we everyone could could have a label. But actually, we, we maybe need to rethink it. Um, now, I did quite a lot of work. I'm, I do psychometric testing. I don't do a lot of it at the minute because I'm dealing with contentious work. But I do some psychometric testing. And I always found it really fascinating when we would actually look at strengths and we would call them development areas. Um, but but the strengths. So actually, this could potentially be a strength because somebody who is highly sensitive can be wired for danger. They can be the ones that will spot things first. They're sometimes very attuned to other people's emotions and their own needs. They can sometimes be very quick at spotting opportunities and threats and, and very vigilant. So actually, there, there could be some, you know, a strength in actually what they have, whereas we see it as, as it being a negative thing. Now, I'm not saying that's the same in all cases, but in my experience of managing teams and, and working with different people, sometimes you can spend a lot of energy trying to make somebody something that they're not. And you can almost spend twice as much energy trying to develop something within them Whereas actually, if this is a strength they have and it's not causing too much disruption and it's manageable, 
why not spend half as much effort on developing the strength they've got and making sure that they can do that really, really, really well? Why would we be, you know, focusing on something that they may never, ever, ever be able to do? And we spend all that energy doing it and then they feel dreadful. So again, what does that do? That knocks somebody's confidence. So maybe we need to rethink it and look at it as a as, as a strength in some respects. Um, but in terms of it being a label, yes, I, I do think people could be could be labelled that. And I think rather than giving it a name or, or labelling it, even though we've had to for the purposes of this, it's about looking at the collective. So how does it present in that person? You know, what does it look like? What can they do? What can they do really, really well? And what's the best way to manage them? And that brings me on to a really nice tip, something that I've done in every business I've worked within, um, you know, for the last sort of three to four years. When I joined, um, I realized that there was sometimes a misunderstanding in work style and that could cause these clashes. And of course, they become entrenched over time and they create the grievance culture. But actually, what if at the outset, I said to somebody, here's a short PDF on how I like to work and things people might misunderstand about me. Hmm. And I, I wrote a guide on how to work with Laura. And, I'm, you know, I'm not particularly creative, but I did some pictures and nice things there. But I, I kind of cover things like um, this is my preferred style. These are things that people commonly misunderstand about me. Um, these are things that drive me nuts and that I'll never tell you about. And I, I did maybe four or five sections on how to work really well with me and my preferred communication style. And when new members join my team, the, one of the first things I would do is ask them to do the same. So we had that common understanding very early on. And I think that should be part of, a, of an induction program in a business. Because again, it's often misunderstanding. So I like to lead and manage like this. Therefore, that means that you must like that. And it isn't, doesn't always work. And we could work really, really well together if there was that common understanding. So I think that that is a really good piece of advice for people. It doesn't take very long and it just gives you so much insight early on so you can set that relationship out on the right footing. I think that's really, really helpful because, you know, we're trying to encourage more diverse people in teams. You know, when there's more diversity, we know there's higher performance. Um, you know, a lot of teams tend to sort of, recruit their own as it were similar type people uh, similar ways of working and actually having a diverse sort of set of team gives you high performance but with that comes different ways of working challenges bit of conflict bit of irritation all that sort of stuff but actually having an understanding where people are coming from can be really helpful and almost embracing some as you say somebody who's more hypersensitive actually will spot things will be a bit more aware of perhaps risk and you know might be too far sometimes, but actually in some instances might be really helpful when we're trying, looking at some scenarios, looking at some planning or something we're going to pursue. And actually they might go, actually, that's not a good thing to do. I think it's embracing and almost turning it into a, an opportunity or your strength, as you say. Um, that's been really helpful, Laura. And I think it's helpfully got clarity of what, what hypersensitivity is. I know we sort of labelled it. We had to label it. Um, but also how to deal with it, but also sort of almost flipping the script a little bit and use it as a, as a positive as well uh, in that environment. But I guess creating environments where, you know, that higher, more resilience, I guess it's, that's that resilience sort of culture, isn't it really? That's what we need to do and be more, more proactive in that. Um, if people want to connect with you and get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn fairly regularly. So I'd say LinkedIn, um, I'm one of those where I like, uh, things written down. So emails are great. Um, 
LinkedIn is is fantastic. And um, yeah, I, I often share content on there if people are interested. Um, and maybe we'll do another podcast again, Julian, on another uh, topic, uh, perhaps next year. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today, Laura. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.